The scripture reading today is from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have said to us in Scripture and through our Lord Jesus Christ that we cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we pray for a word from you today that will help us to know that you have met with us and we with you, a word that comforts us, a word that challenges us, and especially a word that changes us so that we might more and more grow into the image of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So in our sermons through the winter and the spring, we're looking at one of the most important documents in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, written somewhere between 25, 35 years or so after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So go back to the 1990s, and that's about the time span that we have between Jesus' life and the writing of this letter, not long after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. This is a letter in which Paul describes the enormous lengths to which God has been willing to go through Jesus to resolve the problem of human sin, to bring human beings back into a relationship with our Creator that we have damaged and destroyed because of our sin. And not only our relationship with our Creator, but with each other. Each of us has chosen to rebel against God. 
Sometimes we rebel against the idea that we have rebelled against God. We say, well, it's not that bad. I want to say this, that even if all we have done is to shove God just a little bit off center in our lives, then the ramifications of that are simply enormous. In fact, I do think we have all rebelled against God. There are times in which we have said to God, no, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts we have said no. And the consequences are enormous. Our understanding of the world and of our lives becomes confused and at times bizarre. And our power to do what is right becomes seriously weakened. In fact, it's no different when we sin and this relationship is broken. No different from, well, just a little nick in an oxygen line that you need when you're in the hospital or a little twist in that line. And somebody says, it's not that bad. It's just leaking a little bit. Well, wait a minute. It's my life that's at stake. It's not that bad. It's just a little twist. But stop. The oxygen flow has stopped. Our brains are going to die. Our bodies are going to die with just a little bit. And sin does that in a thousand different ways. Brings death to our souls and our relationships with God. So we need help. We need intervention. We need medical intervention of a serious kind from the outside to deal with our guilt and shame and to restore that oxygen supply between us and God. And the amazing good news, as Paul describes it in Romans, is this, that God chooses to intervene, chooses to send us help even before we ask, chooses to do all of this in the person of Jesus who carries all the consequences of our self-centered behavior, all of our death-dealing thoughts and actions, past, present, and future, all our guilt and our shame and our confusion and our ignorance. He carries all of these things, as it were, in his body on the cross, and he does this for us, and he says, give me that, all of it. Let me carry it for you so that what has become a barrier between you and God is taken away. Everything that can possibly cut us off from God, the source of life, he says to us, let me take it so you can live again abundantly and eternally. And this good news, Paul describes in the opening chapters of Romans, should summon a response from us. If God has done this, then what? Well, sometimes the response is one of pride. I really don't need your help, God. Thank you very much. I'm good enough on my own. God, it's just a little nick in the oxygen supply after all. It's not that serious. Thank you. Jesus, I'll call you when I need you. And that's one possible response. But then there's the response of humility and penitence and contrition, what the Apostle Paul calls faith, the response of faith. I'm at my wit's end, Lord. I need your help. There's no other way, Lord. Please come. Step in all the way into my life until your life, as it were, gets into my blood supply like a vaccine and brings me your life, your safety, your power, your salvation in every way. So in Romans, Paul tells us about how God brings us back to himself, the source of life through Jesus. In Romans 5, for example, he speaks about access to God, uninterrupted access to God. Do you know that you have this? uninterrupted access to the living God who made you? 
In Romans 8, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have any lingering sense of God's condemnation, or have you been set free from that? God wants you to be set free from that. And then do you have anxiety because of the possibility of future separation? Paul says at the end of chapter 8, because of what Jesus has done, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Who will separate us, he says in Romans 8, verse 35, from the love of Christ will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword, the worst thing that could happen for, for, to us and for us. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in Romans, we have this vertical sense of salvation between us and God, up and down, between us and God. God restoring our broken relationship with God now and forever and doing it perfectly through our Lord Jesus Christ. But then, too, Paul is interested not merely in vertical salvation, but horizontal salvation. The shape of the cross goes both ways up and down between us and God, and then between us and each other. And Jesus is just as passionate about bringing reconciliation to our human relationships, love God, love neighbor, as to our divine relationship. There's a horizontal work of Jesus. The cross goes both ways. And when Paul gets to the 12th chapter of Romans that we have been looking at over the last few weeks, this is his focus on God's passion to restore broken relationships on the human level, on the horizontal level between each of us, especially in the church, but also more broadly in the world. He wants us to become agents of reconciliation. If God is an agent of reconciliation, if Jesus is an agent of reconciliation, then we are to be too. If God is a bridge builder, then we are to be bridge builders as well, creating human relationships and communities that reflect God's passion for peace and love. This is something we see in Romans 12, in the chapters we've looked at in previous weeks. Last week, Dr. Fox, for example, pointed out that Romans chapter 12 has a list of spiritual gifts, gifts that God gives to us by the Holy Spirit. These gifts are not gifts given to us so that we can say, look at my gift, it's better than yours. These are gifts to enable us to build the beloved community that God wants together. Every gift needed to build a community that is like the body of Christ here on earth. And then we come to our passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. It's a remarkable passage. Within this passage, there are 30, 30 imperatives, 30 commands, all in a row. And it's just like poetry flowing out of Paul's mouth and onto to paper. 30 imperatives of commands. The movers in the direction of being loving and joyful, bridge builders in human society and in particular, within the church. I'm going to read all 30 of them to you again, and I'm going to count them out. I think they might appear on your screen as we do this. So let's think about these together. So number one, 
Let love be genuine. Two, hate what is evil. Three, hold fast to what is good. Four, love one another with mutual affection. Five, outdo one another in showing honor. Six, do not lag in zeal. Seven, be ardent in spirit. Eight, serve the Lord. Nine, rejoice in hope. Ten, be patient in suffering. Eleven, persevere in prayer. Twelve, contribute to the needs of the saints. Thirteen, extend hospitality to strangers. Fourteen, bless those who persecute you. Fifteen, bless and do not curse them. Or halfway through. Commands, do you see that? Imperatives. Sixteen, rejoice with those who rejoice. Seventeen, weep with those who weep. Eighteen, live in harmony with one another. Nineteen, do not be haughty. Twenty, associate with the lowly. Twenty-one, do not claim to be wiser than you are. Twenty-two, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Twenty-three, take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Twenty-four, if it is possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Twenty-five, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Twenty-six, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, and I'm going to change the translation here. Not vengeance, but just judgment. Judgment that is just is mine, says the Lord. And not I will repay. I will sort it out, says the Lord. Just judgment is mine. Let me sort it out, says the Lord. 27. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. That's a command. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. That's a command. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on their heads. 29. Do not be overcome by evil, and then 30, but overcome evil with good. It's a beautiful passage. It really is. As a whole, it's sort of like this poem that flows out of this knowledge of salvation that Paul has, vertical and horizontal, through Jesus Christ. But let me point out some details that sometimes get lost in the shuffle when we read the list as a whole, and especially when we read it quickly, as I have just done. The first detail is this, that in these commands, Paul calls us not just to love, but on one occasion at least, to hate. He calls us to hate. Hate what is evil, he says. You may have missed it, but it's the second imperative that's on there, and I think it's on your screen just now. This is a dangerous thing to say, this call to hate, especially in a day and an age in which hate crimes are all around us. But let's be clear. Some modern people think that hate or wrath in and of themselves are wrong. But that's ridiculous. In fact, the discussion about hate is as old as the hills and at the very least goes back as far as the ancient Greek Stoics in which, for them at least, the sign of maturity of a human being being fully mature was the ability to drop all strong feelings about anything in favor of what is a Greek word, but there's an English word too, apatheia, apathy, in favor of apathy, as if apathy were the greatest good, and looked down upon strong emotions with contempt, whereas the fact is that in many organizations in the world that work for justice today, they know very well that anger and even hatred can be powerful motivators for good. Powerful motivators for good. Dr. Howard Thurman, used to be at Howard, spoke of it as powerful, not sufficient for justice and potentially dangerous and self-destructive if we let it get out of control. But these things can be a source to stir people up whose dignity has been stolen away from them and remind them once again 
that they have been made in the image of God. Dangerous, but powerful and worth thinking about. A hatred, for example, of poverty, of famine, of disease, of war, of slavery, and discrimination based on race. Do you hate these things? Perhaps these are things that we should rightly hate. And in fact, maybe we need to ask ourselves whether we hate them enough, given what Paul says in Romans 12, or whether we are actually more Stoics than Christian. I think for myself, there are some things that I need to work on that I don't hate enough. On the other hand, having said that, and having mentioned that hatred can be dangerous, having said that, what we also need to notice in Romans chapter 12 is this. And many who claim to be Christians and evangelical Christians in particular these days, I believe are profoundly unbiblical at this point, unchristlike, and sometimes indeed like antichrist in their violence and their hatred. What we need to notice is that when Paul speaks about hatred in Romans chapter 12, it is never, ever hatred of people. Never, ever hatred of people, but of evil itself. In terms of people, our passage is unequivocal. We've been called to love. In fact, love outnumbers hate 29 to 1 in our passage. But this is something, this distinction, this is something that Dr. Martin Luther King mentioned repeatedly. And I want to quote his words. Center your mission and your activity on the evil system, he said, and not on the individual who may be caught up in that system. Set out to defeat segregation and not the segregationists, to defeat the evil of communism and not the communists. So much rhetoric these days forgets this vital, biblical, Christ-like distinction. Indeed, Martin Luther King Jr. says, there must be an active love for the individuals who may be caught up in an evil, unjust system, even while we continue to work passionately and unrelentingly to do away with the system itself. How critical this is and how much this is missing in so much of the strong rhetoric of today. So in Romans 12, Paul dramatically separates the sin and the sinner. In fact, and this is the second thing I want us really to notice in our list today, is that within the list there are seven different kinds of people whom we've been called to love. Whom we've been called to love. I'm going to list them for you in the order that I perceive is from easier to harder. There could be some debate on this, but from easier to harder. We're to love, first of all, the saints. Well, at least these should be the easiest ones to love. Our fellow believers in Jesus Christ part of the same body of Christ as we are. That's what saints means. Not always easy to love, but should be easy to love. We have been called to love those who rejoice, those who somehow are able to find joy in the midst of any and every circumstance. And we're to rejoice with them. We're to love them in their joy. And then it gets a little bit harder. We're to weep with those who weep. We're to love those who are weeping. This means going to those who may make us feel uncomfortable because they are sad. There are some I know who are very anxious 
about the rise of, of hatred towards those from an Asian background. And they're sad and they're scared for themselves, as others are scared in these days. What are we doing to weep with those who weep? And then he moves on to speak about the lowly. The lowly. The lowly are those who, they just don't make much of an impression. They're not at the center of the group. They're not in the in-group. They're sort of on the outside, and nobody may notice them. But we've been called to notice them. Maybe there's somebody you need to notice when you're with your friends. When we get back together and you're with your friends, will you notice those who are standing alone? And then we've been called to love strangers as well. We all know, I think, the word xenophobia means fear of stranger. comes from the, the Greek, xenos, a stranger, and phobos means fear, fear of strangers. Well, the word for hospitality in Romans chapter 12 is philoxenia. Philoxenia. Philoxenia is love of strangers. It's not xenophobia, but it's philo, as in Philadelphia, love of brothers, Philoxenia, love of strangers, people who are different, who don't belong, don't belong to our family, to our race, our tribe. We're not just to put up with them, we're to be lovers of those who are strangers. And then if that's getting a little bit more difficult, it gets even more difficult for the final two. And what Paul says now comes straight out of the gospel, straight out of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. The gospels haven't been written by this time but the oral tradition of Jesus' teaching is alive and well. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus saying this, and Paul says it as well, we're to take care of our enemies. We're to love our enemies when they're hungry, when they're thirsty, to feed them and to give them something to drink. And then finally, we're even to love those who persecute us, who seek to hurt us. Hate evil, says Paul, but love people. No matter what they do, never seek to retaliate, pay them back, even, and this is so hard, when they hurt you or think they're hurting you. Listen to the words again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, let God's ultimate justice take care of it. And this, of course, is not just the teaching of Jesus. This is the model of Jesus as well, especially as we come towards Holy Week. Some of the most powerful words in Scripture are from 1 Peter chapter 2 and at verse 22, which speaks of Jesus like this. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. This is not easy, but if this is what Jesus did for us, bearing the cross for our sins, the vertical dimension of salvation and the horizontal dimension, then we have been called to do no less for each other. Not easy, and Paul knows this. So hidden away, once again, within these 30 commandments that Paul gives in our list in Romans chapter 12, Paul mentions some resources that we can rely on to help us to put into practice the poetry of love that he describes. The first is prayer. 
prayer in verse 13. He commands us to persevere in prayer. Not a suggestion, not just a good idea. This is a commandment. Persevere in prayer. Verse 16, he adds two more commands. Do not claim to be wiser than you are and do not be haughty. As if to say, when you speak to God, tell God about your weaknesses. Don't be proud. Tell God about your weaknesses. Tell God how this loving business is really hard, that it's easy for us to judge others. It's easy to criticize for some reason, to be cynical. It's easy to think that we can build our self-esteem by counting ourselves superior to other people. All of these things come easily to us. But genuine love is hard. Good Samaritan-type love is hard. We cannot do it in our own strength. Lord, restore that oxygen supply so that I can love just a little bit more than I do day by day, more and more, as you've called me to do through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's prayer. Persevere in prayer. Do it, says Paul, if you're going to love this way. And then he says, serve the Lord. This too is a command. Serve the Lord. And I want to focus on the Lord part here. Yes, we are to serve, but who is it that we are to serve? Not any old person, not any old God, but the God who is passionate about reconciliation. Serve this Lord. Not our closest group of friends, not the people who are pontificating on television, not our deepest emotions at their worst, but serve the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves, is the God we serve the Lord, the one who gave his life to us in Jesus Christ because he is passionate about bridge building and reconciliation, or some other God who is convenient to our lives? A lady once asked a friend what serving the Lord really meant, and the friend showed her a blank piece of paper and said, sign the piece of paper. The person signed the piece of paper and said, now let God fill in everything else on that sheet of paper. It has your signature on it. And do you trust God that much with whatever God wants you to do? Serve the Lord. We know who the Lord is. Now go ahead, says Paul, and serve God. So we need to persevere in prayer. We need to know who the God is whom we serve. Serve the Lord. And then thirdly, finally, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. This too is a commandment. Rejoice in hope. In order to love fully, whether it's the persecutor, the enemy, the stranger, the lowly, the weeping, the rejoicing, or the saints, you have to believe that God will take care of you if you take a risk. If you step out in love and your love is rebuffed, if you step out in love and you lose your friends to do it because you're loving someone whom they don't want you to love, if it costs your resources as it costs the Good Samaritan. You have to believe that God will take care of you, that your future, that's where hope comes in, is in the hands of God. This hope is not just wishful thinking. If it happened for Jesus, it will happen for us. Good Friday, the core of Jesus' love for us is followed by Easter. And it will be in your life and in my life too. Salvation. Vertical, God wants 
our relationship with God to be reconciled horizontal, is passionate about our being the hands and feet of Jesus to build human community. In order to love in this way, hating what is evil, but to love in this way, my friends, persevere in prayer. Make sure that your whole life is based on serving the Lord. And especially as we move towards Easter, but we've got Good Friday first. Rejoice, rejoice in the confident hope that God wants to give to each of us and on which our lives depend. And then, then, God will empower us to have a love that is genuine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, look down upon us. Guide us, we pray. We are weak, but you are strong. Come and give to us the strength we need to serve you with joy and love always. Amen.